This is Beyond the Pass, conversations with people from all walks of hospitality life. Centering mental health, Beyond the Pass is a conversation about life, hospitality, and what makes us get out of bed each day. Beyond the Pass is brought to you by Kelly's Cause, and the conversational digressions are brought to you by me, your host, Rachel Kerlapsley. If you can take a minute to like, rate, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, that would be very much appreciated. Without listeners like yourselves, we could keep having these brilliant conversations. Enjoy the episode and keep taking care of each other. Welcome back to Beyond the Pass. In this episode, we're sitting down with Chef Adam Hardiman. Adam has nearly 30 years of experience, including owning and operating the Dalston staple that was Madame Pig. A recovering addict, Adam's career through kitchens has transformed from boiling point level chaos to calm. Thank you so much for joining me, Adam. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good today, actually. Good to hear it. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Well, I mean, we'll see how the conversation goes. Could be fucking horrible for both of us. <laughs> um, how, did, uh, how did you get started in the industry? Um, I started cooking <clears throat> when I was at school. Uh, I, I was around like 10, 11, just, not, just basic stuff. And then um, I was dating a girl. And her mum was my food technology teacher. So she gave me a little bit more love and like taught me a bit more. I actually really enjoyed cooking, you know, like I've got ADHD. My brain needs mm. like practical. I need to, I need to like, so like sitting down in classrooms wasn't in my favour. So like cooking flapjacks and stuff like that was. Really enjoyed it. Started working part-time in fish and chip shops and then in like sandwich bars. And then it just progressed into working for better people, yeah. more like more established places. What was the best job you had in a kitchen and what was the worst job you've ever had in a kitchen? Oh God, I love these questions because they're really making me think of like, <laughs> the best job I've ever had in a kitchen was for somebody else, was for maybe not job, but like working with someone. Mm-hmm. Like, not an establishment, a person called Gary Usher. Mm-hmm. Um, worse, Jamie Oliver. Not Jamie's Italian because, or like any of his restaurants, because we had like a good, sometimes it was like good camaraderie mm-hmm. before, between the chefs and like a, like a family, but him no. and Gennaro Contaldo, both no. Yeah. Because it's so commonplace, how did you sort of find out you were an addict? Do you know what I mean? Like... I don't think I found out in hospitality enough because I mentioned this like to like in other podcasts I've done. I I feel like whatever I would have done, I would have been an addict. Like I, I like I believe I was born an addict. Like I can remember feeling this uncomfortability when I was three years old. Like for real. Like being at play school. Like literally looking around at play school. I still have the thought in my head now of like. Like, is this it? Mm. Is this what life is? And like, <laughs> other and other kids being excited about being in a prefab preschool and like, and and looking around and being like, why don't I feel how they feel? And like, trying to like literally like it was yesterday. And I'm forty now, so like a long time ago, thirty six years ago, like thinking, I don't like this. Like, I'm gonna eat biscuits, and I. Always, that like because it's such a at the time I, I was just like well I'd rather eat biscuits and talk to these fucking kids yeah. do you know what I mean like <laughs> I'd rather be on 
I'd rather sit in a corner eating biscuits and right. And then that sort of feeling and that escapism mm. progressed. Mm. So like, I was ill when I was 19 years old. Like I had a perforated bowel from using, mainly using also from uh, like a IBD, inflammatory bowel disease. Mm. And, and I had a perforated bowel, was gonna die, blah, 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 all this stuff. And like, I remember them injecting me with like 45 milligrams of morphine every four hours and fentanyl. And me being like, I can deal with this. Like I had 68 staples, all this stuff, yeah. like without going into gore. And I can remember being in hospital for months and then being like, I'm not in pain. And then, but, but going, can I have some more morphine? Mm. And like, obviously they'd give it to me. Mm. And like, I can remember at that point, I thought I was a, an opiate addict. Mm. Like I just thought I was addicted to morphine and fentanyl. Mm. But now, obviously I'm in a fellowship and I've started to learn about myself. Mm. I'm just a fucking full on addict. It's interesting, I think with, yeah, with the benefit of hindsight and it's like, oh, it was everything else before it was whatever the substance was like, sugar tv like i remember tv being huge for me when i was like early like 12 and i could like feel it when i would like zone into it and escape into that my whole body would like relax and i was like oh finally it's, yeah. i'm peaceful and how you just apply different shit to that until you find something you really like <laughs> i get therapy every friday which i'm quite open well i'm not open about it. don't go fucking talking about it but like as we're on a podcast of recovery like I was talking to my therapist about it and, and um, I was saying to him about, like, my, I don't have a job of choice. Like, mm. I'm, I'm just addicted. Like, at the moment, I don't know how I've gone, like, gone this way in, in this conversation, but at the moment, like, I've, I haven't got any, I'm, I'm sat here eating a packet of Percy Pigs, right? Mm. That's, how, that's as far as me acting out on something. Mm. I've stopped smoking, mm. I've stopped gambling. Mm which were the first two things that I started picking up. It's so mad, like, mm. mad, yeah. Do you think that the culture in kitchens impacted your addiction at all, even in terms of just what it gave you access to? Oh, yeah. Like, like I was saying, if I was a lawyer, I would still would have been an addict if I was whatever. But, like, like, I think it's, like, the stresses and, like, the expectation, the pressure, the imposter syndrome, mm. uh, the negative thoughts in my head, you're not good enough, you shouldn't be here, but then get trying to fight through that with drugs. Like mm. when I was working for Jamie, I was on opiates. I was on like, like ridiculous, over 60 tramadol a day. I would come to a difficult situation and then I'd be like, I can handle this, I can handle this. And then I'd feel like I would, but then I'd just go down and use, yeah. go down into the toilet or and then use. But I mean, it's that, it's, A says it, but it's like, you know, it was never the problem, it was the solution. And then the solution yeah. stops working. And like... Yeah, like... to find out whether, how, like, the, that saying of, um, if you want to know how you suffer with the disease of addiction, stop taking drugs. Mm. And I only realised how bad, how, like... It's such a disease of thinking and then it is more than like, uh, yeah. What did it feel like, or what was the experience of running a team when you were in active addiction? Like when you were actually like the owner operator, 
how did that function? How did it work? Um, like I, like what you were just saying then about like it was a, the drugs were a solution. Mm. I literally took drugs to live. Mm. Like I was an everyday user. Like I was an every hour user, regardless of whatever it was. Like if I slept, I hardly ever slept. So like I was, I was just a, I was just full on all the time. So like in the back of my head, like all of the, for where I wanted to get to, mm. if you were part, you you just had to be part of me. You just had to be part of my thought process, mm. my arrogance, my mentalness. Mm like drug fueled like my ideas and like for me to get to madame pig was like 26 27 years of hard work mm -hmm. of like but and then of like of like i just knew i was gonna get it and, and i wanted to get that place but it was just so um it was just fueled by drugs mm -hmm. so like it was up to the other person. I genuinely, I wasn't very nice. It was just like, mm. if you don't want to be part of it, I couldn't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if that, that probably answers quite a lot of stuff. Mm. Like, um, I deep down did, mm -hmm. but like, I'm, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it can definitely be a fucking roller coaster when you're working. And I've done it before, worked for guys that were like in really active addiction and it's a hard, it's a fucked up environment. It's not easy. But now that you're sober, what, like, how would you approach your team differently? Like, do you have ideas about that? Where you're like, oh, fuck, this would have been the way. No, so when I went into rehab, I still had Madame Pig. Um, I shut it for like two, I shut it for, I, I think a month. And then I came out and I, and I didn't want to hide away from, I was open about my recovery. I was open about my addiction as well. So like, I wanted to be even more so about my recovery. And then I went straight back into opening up Madame Pig again. And I just went into it as this is what I need to do for my recovery. So like I was doing, I was doing um, all of the things openly. Like I was doing meat in my garden. I was like, can you not come into the garden? I'm doing a meeting. I was doing, um, I was like um, doing ice cold plunges in the in the sink. It, it was called oh fuck, I can't remember. What it was called. I'd done it for the first six months on my recovery, just yeah. shocking my yeah, nervous yeah, yeah. system, so I didn't go into panic attacks. Yeah. So like, I was very open about it. So they, um, I didn't. I think I just got humbled by. I got very humbled because the same people carried on working for me. And the thing is, I had my team stuck by me mm. through psychosis, through anger, jealousy, loads of stuff, obviously, that comes with drug taking, like disorientation, disassociate states, all this stuff. So when they knew I was ill, mm -hmm. like they're very clever, they're very clever people that work for me, like the long-standing people like Emily and... God bless her, man. I'm, she's like one of my best friends now. She's like, like, and I suppose when I, I sort of knew at the end of my using that like I was in trouble when I was dying. I was having seizures. I was like, I weighed nothing. I knew everything that I was being told to believe and 
like I sort of understood disassociate states and psychosis now even more so so like when I came back I was more, I was very humbled I was like learned a lot in rehab about like I'm an addict okay I start going to meetings blah 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 so yeah I think the biggest word has been fucking humbled <laughs> yeah with and a little bit like with my in some cases I don't know whether this is right but this is how I felt with my with my tail between my legs sort of mm. like but proud mm. of what I've just done mm-hmm. it must have been really the relief that your team must have felt when you came back and you weren't dead and yeah your capacity was there and like I live around the corner from Madame Pig I ate there and the food was fucking banging and you wouldn't what I think is crazy, I mean, any functional addicts and so many chefs like this, the food bagged when you were really fucked up and the food bagged when you got back from rehab and there was no change. Like, it was just good. But, like, the, yeah, the experience for your team must have been really fucking weird. Yeah, like, I've got, I've got some amends to make. Right? I, so, like, I'm only on step six. So, like, they don't, the people that I need to make amends to don't really understand it's a process and, like, I'm still not, I'm still learning about myself still trying to like don't want to make amends if I don't fully understand what I'm why I'm making that amends yeah. for and like yeah. and I'm learning that today like my staff genuinely thought I was going to die yeah. like I had holes all in my face and like mm-hmm. I I genuinely thought they were all creatures and I, I was in some pure psychosis like I didn't I've I thought my missus was a was a monster and I thought everybody around me was trying to kill me like now I'm on the subject like 20 26 27 years of abuse and like at the end I genuinely can't explain where it took me mm. like to think now it was me as this person like 20 nearly 27 months clean like that was me when you did get sober like when you went to rehab were you going, like, was your initial thought, like, I need to treat the psychosis? Or was the thought, like, I need to get clean? Oh, I need to stay alive. Like, the end of, it was, it was the 18th of December, 21. And I, I had an operation on my finger, right? And the people that know Madame Big and my story, like, they probably remember that, had like I've, like I can't straighten my middle finger and it's all like curved and I had um, tenuous teeth infection through a burn thought it was nothing used more if that was possible and then at the time met Alessia like as that I think the day before that happened or something and then I had a burn on my foot I was always making mistakes and and then I got rushed to hospital really rushed to hospital, Homerton, then they couldn't, they were like, you're going to lose your hand, maybe your arm, flew me to Royal London, had three operations, blah, blah, blah. And like, after, I, and then I flipped over to morphine and I was like, I'll be all right in hospital because I'm on morphine. And then I was like, I'm, I've got, I'm very, um, they knew I was in psychosis, man. I was I was already there. And then when I came out of hospital, I tried using cocaine to the same extent as I was before. My body was shutting down. I was literally swallowing it. I was trying to put up my nose. I was getting this green... This is how fucked up my... I was getting this green stuff from one of the 
shops on Whitechapel Road thinking it was morphine and it was keeping me alive and I had to have it and it was like fucked up THC mm. stuff and just all this stuff and then when I come out I couldn't use I really couldn't use and I was literally sad the fact that I couldn't use cocaine I was trying to get it in me and then my body was shutting down and then I had four seizures and that time when I had those four seizures I I thought I was dead mm. I saw my, all my life before me and and then I come around and I was just like I can't I still for days on end I still thought I was dead and then I got hold of a rehab. I was like, I need to come into rehab. I've got a drug problem. Still didn't think I was an addict. Mm. I've got a problem. Yeah. I've got a little and overboard. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I've just... I've got a problem and I don't know how to stop this problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that sounds weird to us or, like... It sounds weird to me even saying it, but I genuinely didn't think I was an addict. Mm-hmm. And then on the way down there, bawling my eyes out, I don't think I can do this. But determined, and then got in there day one. Oh, I am a fucking addict. Mm. Oh, I am an alcoholic. Mm. Like, I remember the cancer saying to me, Do you feel like a piece of shit and the world revolves around you? And I was like, Oh my God, yeah, for every fucking day of my life since I was four. And he was like, Yeah, so do I. And I was like, What? I was like, You feel that way? The most important piece of shit on the planet, so you are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. When you look around at other people in the industry, either in recovery or not, how much do you think running a restaurant or working in service, like for folks that are in kitchens right now, how much do you think that impacts the possibility of recovery? Like being back in work if you go back into those environments? I don't know. It doesn't bother like to like the way I use wasn't wasn't like a glass of wine here and like how people drink and socialize in a restaurant. Like my using was I'm going to drink a bottle of tequila in the bathroom and then do a gram and do, do you know what I mean? Like it was, it was extreme. Not the amounts matter, but like, I don't see anybody in the restaurants that in my restaurant, even people using drugs in my restaurant, if they did or if I thought they did, people drinking, nobody used like me. So, like, I don't get triggered by it. Mm. It's really weird. And then if I go out to eat with someone and then they drink glasses, it's okay. But if they drink bottles, I get triggered. Yeah. Because I used to guzzle a bottle. So, like, I think it's all personal. It's all, like, what your own... Bar- what your own um, boundaries are like what your your feels are like i do i struggle sometimes man it just depends like i just struggle with life not the fact that i'm in a restaurant again yeah it's not the environment necessarily it's just your own shit i think now for me because i've learned a lot and i'm quite i'm still a newcomer i class myself as a newcomer until like i'm I've done the 12 steps, but like I'm a couple of years in, I feel differently about it. It's all me and it's not anybody else or it's not the environment. But like to people that are in it, it must be hard. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm not in it anymore. Yeah. And who knows if you were, you might be telling me something different. Yeah. Like if I was 
for in, like if I didn't want to have if I was just a regular Joe and I didn't want to have a drink on a Thursday but and then something happened at work and then I had a drink on a Thursday it's fucking hard because you're in a restaurant and like everybody around you is in that same situation do you know what I mean it's like I've in a way and I've I don't know whether I feel a little bit guilty about this I don't know but like I've I've escaped yeah and I feel very lucky that I've been able to like slide out the back door and like, and still be alive. For me, I've worked in like every kitchen I've worked in. I've I've I haven't really cared about other people about using because it was all about me. Like my and this is like I don't like my drugs are my drugs. Like. I never was blasé. I was never um, in people's faces being like, oh, do you want to go in the toilet and do this? And it was just like me getting me through the day of life. And this is what I had to do to get through it. And then I always screwed my nose up at other people's. Like when I was at Jamie's and people were taking cocaine, I was on opiates. So I'd be like, how can you work? How can you work on cocaine, man? And then like, but I was like doing the, fucking stupid amount of tramadol and like so yeah it was always that um i ever feel like i'm better than someone or shitter than someone you know that either in the industry or out of the industry were there people once you got sober that you looked at that like helped you forge a path forward where you were like that's how i can be about this <laughs> i had a girl work for me she was my pa my ops manager um very well-known person in the industry and she was doing i never really knew this at the time but she was doing meetings in my garden and living a life of sobriety um and she was like a couple of years in and like i was like what are you doing and i made her i wasn't particularly nice to her and i didn't make her life easier um i was like why are you doing meetings what fucking meetings you work for me and she was like i need to do these meetings and then I f she can remember this, that I had a conversation with her and, be, and I said to her, maybe one day I'll, maybe one day I'll, um, I'll follow in your footsteps. Without her, without her and like knowing, like as soon as I went into rehab, I was like, I need to make amends to her. I need to, I need to like, I need to let her know I'm in rehab for starters and I need to tell her that I'm sorry and that I love her. And I can remember she found out because I was open about my about my drug use. She found out that I was in recovery. She sent me a message, and and I and I said to her about, "I'm really sorry, but I, if I, for what I know now, if I knew that at the time, there's no way I would have acted like." And she was like, "Shut, shut the fuck up, please don't." Like I knew you're an unwell person, but so beautiful to me, and she's my best, one of my best friends now, and we talk every day, and. If there are chefs listening who want to get sober, and I know you still classify yourself as a newcomer, but what's the advice that you give? I would, uh, like, 100% just, just admit it. All I had to do, I didn't know this at the time, but, like, I just needed help. I needed to reach out and I needed help. And, like, there's, like, in my sort of, my mangled brain, I was just like, Nobody's, nobody cares or nobody wants to help me. And... Well, like from experience and from my mouth, like I care. So like, and there's people out, other people out there that care. So like literally just reach out, like reach out 
and sort of and that thing of like I didn't know that there was another life I didn't know that there was another life available I genuinely thought I was just going to die an addict and I was going to drink for the rest of my life take drugs for the rest of my life this is the way that I'm deserve to live and I'm meant to live once you reach out the road to recovery and the road to like just living even that thing even that thought process of like reach say for, for instance somebody reaches out to me just by even talking to someone else it starts that like that negative thinking in your head that you're on your own because you're not mm. yeah i remember the first person i ever met who had gotten sober like it didn't i couldn't understand it i genuinely didn't get it and it was the first time i ever saw that there was an alternative yeah another life i genuinely didn't know about this life <laughs> How, now that you're in recovery, how do you take care of your mental health? And what's your sort of relationship to that, relationship to that now? I've got a therapist. Um, so I see him once a week. Like my road to recovery is sort of like, I always ask myself, and I know this sounds mad because I've got a mental illness, but like I, I'm mentally sane. Like I class my my i've got the disease of addiction right so like all of those like i've i've got this like get up and go i've always i've woken up regardless of all the pain that i've been in and the traumas and the disease of addiction i've always woken up happy and i came into recovery and i was like thinking fuck am i gonna wait i'm am i only have i only been happy in my life because i've been taking drugs mm. now i come into recovery and i realize that i'm happier some days and then um so my, but and then the work that I put into myself that I have to, to feel okay, and then if anything above that is, is a bonus, is like, wake up, my brain is on me, plus like telling me all sorts, got all thoughts, it running through my head, you're not worthy, all this shit, have a shower, have a cold shower every morning, and then I make my bed, I get up, and then I meet in at eight o'clock that I'm secretary of every morning. And mm. I reach out to newcomers. And then I go to the gym around half past nine, 10 o'clock after the meeting. I feed my boy. I take part in life. I exercise more so now. I've stopped smoking. Yeah, that, like I think those main things are like the, 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 exercise, meetings, reaching out, helping newcomers, sharing every single time I do a meeting, which is I suffer with major anxiety, um, like huge anxiety, like panic attacks from, and I, unconsciously. So like for like traumas that have happened in my life, like for my stomach and I have traumatic responses to like minimal stuff. It's crazy. So like, even like little things now, like not eating too much sugar, even though that I'm sat eating person pigs, <laughs> is my food. like drinking tea, not drinking coffee, just things like that, man. Yeah. I have to. Yeah. yeah. How did you introduce yourself to those tools? Is it, was it people that were sponsoring you in sort of those relationships or were you trying shit and seeing what stuck? Listening. Like, for, like I got a sponsor like everything I got taught in rehab, every single word that they told me is true. Like, and I listened, like I went in, like, I think I was like eight stone and I'm six foot. Like when I went in there and like I was on my deathbed, I was just like, I'm game. 
like I'm, I paid myself a lot of money for it as well. Not that money matters, but like I was fortunate enough and I was just like, I'm not going to throw this opportunity away. I've got a second chance to live. So like I just listened and learned and like, and I think that saying about take the cotton wool out your mouth and put it, take your cotton wool out your ears and put it in your mouth. Shut up and listen. Like and in, and in rehab, it was that like they, they, they taught me a routine of like getting up at the same time, making my bed, having a chore, doing five classes a day. Like it was a completely new way of life for me, for my predecessors, from people that have done it and are doing it. How do you think your ADHD impacted your recovery? Or does it, like, how do you think it impacts your sort of day-to-day now that you live in this sort of routine oh, and you have these tools? Fucked. <laughs> it's like it's so hard man mm. like mine's not mine's unmedicated so I don't take medication although it's been offered I um and at the moment like I've got no no there's I've got no qualms about like taking medication and recovery like if you need it you need it but like I very like with my ADHD my drugs works the opposite for me so when I took cocaine it numbed me and when I took morphine or opiates it brought me up it gave me fucking energy so now in recovery I very I fucking like now I'm sat here I haven't stayed still I'm looking around I can't focus on one thing I might I'm saying one thing and then my head is telling me what the fuck are you saying? I can't remember what I've said. Mm. Um, I can't focus on business plans and like, and writing stuff down. And it's so hard. Like, yes, it's hard. I think I, I never struggled, to my knowledge anyway, I didn't struggle with my ADHD when I was using drugs because one, I was numb. And also I always took drugs for something like, like if I needed to be calm, I took I took drugs. If I needed to be up, I took drugs. Do you know what I mean? So like now it's trying to live with it. I mean that's a whole other relationship. I think the illusion that like yeah. you're gonna get sober and all your bullshit's gonna go away and then it just brings the bullshit oh, to the no. surface is like 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 all the bullshit or or life that has happened in my life, I've basically like put a cork in it. Mm. Through 27 years of using drugs, I've just caught it. And it's like, and then I've gone with my using life. And then now I'm in recovery. That cork is like my like my body, my nervous system, my mind is like waiting for the cork, which is drug. And now it's just like, I've never used this analogy before in my life, but like, it's like taking that cork out and it just being like, rah, yeah, yeah. like, literally like rat it's like oh here you go here's this trauma that you like generational trauma here's like here's like the hospital that you lived in for two years all the stuff that you thought you could handle or like all of it man it just comes back and it's like and it's like i'm a 40 year old man it's like hold on i'm a man i should be able to handle all this stuff and my ego comes in and my pride and fucked (laughs) (laughs) What's the cliche? There's no way out but through. Yeah, that is like 
But do you know me saying this, like what you just said then, I just had this picture in my head of like me walking through it and then afterwards like pink fluffy clouds and rainbows and sunshine because it really is like that. Like I felt like in my whole life when I've come up with come up to like a problem or or fear or something, I've literally just gone around it and then I've walked around it by suppressing all of those feelings and then I've walked down the road later on in life and it's come up again and it's come up again and now what I'm doing is like realizing that it ain't all that bad and like those uncomfortable feelings of not walking around something and walking through it and being like oh hold on a minute it's just a feeling mm. and I'm okay I feel all right I've got lots of support I'm loved and then you get to the other side and it's like whoa I can handle this. Mm. Like, this is actually pretty fun, isn't it? Oh, and you're proving yourself to yourself all day long. Like... Oh, like... Like, crazy, because I just have two... Two voices. I have, like... I just have the unconscious mind of, like, telling me that I'm not good enough and, like, you can't do that and run away from it because that's what I've always done all my life. But then my true self is, like... Hold on a minute... Look at what you've done. Yeah. yeah. To be proud of yourself. You're strong. You can get through it. And it sounds like wet. Even it sounds wet to me. What, like, is, what is it? Just because I'm foreign, I don't know. What does it mean wet? Like, um, like soppy? I don't know. Like, it just, it just sounds like I'm like this speaker and I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, I know, and, and I feel like, and I'm like this unicorn and I can glide through all these experiences. I haven't got a fucking clue. Like, I'd, like, for instance, when I mean these challenges, like, when I come out of rehab, I didn't get a tube in my, like, living life in London. If I did, I was unconscious, do you know what I mean? But, like, maybe once a year. So, like, when I came out of rehab, I couldn't walk down the street to the tube station. So, like, my head would be like, you can't do that. Like, you can't, you can't get on the tube. What about all them paranoia and, like, all of the... And it's that thing of, like, well, one, I can. Two, nothing's going to happen to me. Three, nobody gives a fuck who I am. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's okay, then. Nah. But, like, I'm, set, I'm using this because, like, that's, that's the truth and the reality of when I come out of rehab. That's what it was. I couldn't walk down the street and I couldn't get on the tube. But now... I'm traveling, I get on a plane and I can do all sorts, you know what I mean? And I'm a tube warrior. Yeah, look at you go. <laughs> Piccadilly lights, wow. sexual line, watch me, motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> Is there a moment when you got sober where you could identify that like, oh, that negative voice, all of that shit that my head was telling me, I can turn the volume down on that. Like, do you remember that happening for you or did it just sort of over time? No, no, it's still like, I don't know. Like, it's just different stuff. Um, it's, I, I don't know about this turning the volume down. It hasn't worked for me yet. Mm. Like, I call it tricking my brain. Like, I have to trick my brain into like, like when I pray, I pray every morning and night and I like prayer and my in my gratitude it's like if nothing else happens today good or bad I'm okay like where I am now and keeping myself grounded like 
keeps me sort of like that voice of like fucking panic anxiety. I walk around in anxiety, like in mild anxiety of trauma state fat. And then like, it depends on, like yesterday I took my boy out. I took him to Canary Wharf. I took him to some soft play. I put my defenses up like Batman, like fuck you all. I'm going out with my boy. Nobody can hurt me. And then I'm on the train and I'm like, hold on a minute. Like, nobody's out to hurt you, mate. You're okay. Everything is fine. And breathe. And then when I got there, I started judging other people. I was the only dad there. And then I was, again, I was just like, it's okay. Like, stop judging other people. You're really judging yourself. It's okay. And then I just had one of the most beautiful days ever with my boy. So, like, that's a tool. One of the biggest tools that I've only really in the last month or two of 27 that I've started to talk nice to myself because shame, guilt, I don't deserve it and all that bullshit. I know that you you were, you said you didn't want to like, you know, sit around and sounding like Yoda and like you're the Tony Robbins of whatever and all of that, which I get. But what you just described, the ability to like clock yourself and tell yourself a different story, that's fucking incredible. Like that is sort of Yoda shit, you know? And I think that credit where credit is due, like that's amazing. It's amazing. That's where I'm at now. Like, I've, I've, and for me, it's a lot of, hum- I'm learning humility. I didn't even know what that word meant like properly or, or what. Like I just always walked around like, like, even in my using, I either felt like Jesus or I felt like scum. Like, and, and like, I still feel like that now because, like, just because I'm not taking drugs, I still suffer with disease or addiction. So, like, the humility, the middle part of just being okay is, like, dangerous. Like, like my therapist was saying today about just sitting still and, like, not, my brain goes, I need to do this. I need to have a cigarette. I need to run a marathon. I need to be better. I need to fucking save the world. And, oh, man. And it's just that humbleness just to be like, it's okay. You're allowed to sit here. You're, you're, you're safe. Like, yeah, that's what I'm learning at the moment. Talking to my little talking to the little version of me for the people around you like whether that's like your partner your family but also like people you're working with if you're supporting someone in recovery or even an active addiction what what should they know do you reckon like how do you best support it how do the people around you best show up for you i guess is what i'm asking in addiction um is the way that my missus has handled it that's quite like, um, I just, I just welled up when I said that then. Um, but in a happy way, because like so many people in the past have like, um, alienated me or like said that I'm wrong and like, what the fuck are you doing? And, and like called the police on me and even family members and like loads of stuff, like made it worse. In, for an addict and it's that my missus put an arm around me and let me find and let me fight and to let me know that I was there 
let me know that the way that I would, there was a better way to live, didn't participate in the way that I was living, didn't, didn't um, make it worse by, by drinking with me and taking drugs with me. And then being, and then showing me that this isn't a normal way to live and that I, there is, I can live a different way. And that's, she never once told me not to take a drug. Mm. And I think that's very important. And it's very hard because my social platform, Instagram or whatever, I've, I've had a lot of people come to me, people that are the family members of people that are in addiction. I don't know what to do. What can I do? And it's just like, and it's like, I feel sad for those people because it's like, all you can do is just be there and just, and like, even me saying this now, I feel like somebody that's not an addict or somebody hasn't been through that, they'd be like, what does that, how can you fucking do that? I think it takes a, I think it takes a very unique, strong person to be able to do that. In recovery, it's hard because I'm living it now with, and it's harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm living with my missus now and it's very hard. Not as in our relationships. Our relationship is like, uh, stunning maybe is a good word like obviously it has its ups and downs but like and our little boy is like I've, I've, I'm in a place where I've always dreamed of but when it comes to answering that question I don't think I can I think she could <laughs> yeah. yeah like it's fucking hard for her man because she doesn't understand it mm. like she understood the mentalness of me using drugs mm. and uh, she knew that this new way to live. But now I'm like, I still have that mentalness, but like not with drugs. Mm -hmm. So like, and then I'm, and then because I'm a 40 year old man with an ego and pride, I don't like getting vulnerable in front of her even still now. So like I hide from it and she's like, where are you? I don't know, bear with it, <laughs> please. Does your anxiety in meetings feel the same as it did when you started or has it sort of transformed as you've gotten further along? It's got worse. It's got worse because I had, I, I used other things. I used smoking and I used gambling. So I was gambling, cross-addicting. I thought I was, like, my recovery is very strong, man. Like, I, and I don't, and I, it sounds weird me saying that. It sounds like cocky, but it's not. It's just self-belief of the amount of work that I put into it. And, like, I, um... I've just stopped smoking. I'm two months in of stopping smoking and and the same with uh, gambling and I'm just raw. I'm, I feel mm. like when I'm in meetings, I just feel raw. So like, it's just new. Like I was on medication for panic attacks early on in recovery. I was on propanol that were helping me. And then I'm just on nothing now. So like, it's just fucking learning, man. I just... I want to fight the anxiety because I feel like I shouldn't have it. So like it's about acceptance and working around it, step one, two and three, and like accept, accepting it, realizing that it's okay and handing it over. Fucking hard. I imagine now that you're a dad, the urgency to want to be present and just be there and to not be distracted by your anxiety and sort of be like muscling through with your mental health I imagine the stakes feel higher now. Yeah, the anxiety for me is like, it's a weird one because it's unconscious. Like if I use words to describe myself, I'd use happy, sort of like up for it, 
And then all of these things that like the slightest things of like, I'm not like walking around with a heart pumping and like full of anxiety. It's just like all of a sudden for no, for no rhythm or rhyme, I don't know why my heart will start going. But, and at the moment is when I'm in a meeting and I have to open my mouth. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like it's all affected. Mm. So you're 27 months into recovery, right? Yeah, so, or 26 and a bit. 26 and a bit months into recovery. What does being a chef look like now? How is that identity working? So I've shot Madame Pig nearly two years ago in the end of April. So like I've been doing par, I've been doing private functions and stuff like that. So like I've been doing a lot of stuff on my own, done some festivals, done some weddings in the south of France. I picked and choose, but to tell you the truth, I put everything into my recovery because I haven't felt like any period of my recovery that I could open up another restaurant until now. I, I've started just to understand, like, I can't do anything if I'm not right. If I'm not in a right place, the long I could open up a restaurant, but, like, a year ago or, like, in the early part of my recovery, but it wouldn't have lasted because I would have 100% relapsed and I wouldn't have been able to handle situations. So, like, where I am now is, like, I feel strong. I feel, even though regardless of everything that I've said to you about anxiety, I find it hard in meetings. I find it hard sometimes walking down the street, having a conflict with two voices in my head. I've never been stronger in my whole fucking life. But all of that can be true at the same time. Yeah, so, like... But but in but in to counteract against that, I've never learned, and I I've never had so much knowledge of myself and how to handle those situations ever before. So like, so without using anything, mm-hmm. so, so like, I feel like I'm ready. I feel like I also owe myself an amends to the restaurant I once had that. I deserved and um and I feel like I feel like I'm ready I just feel like I'm in a completely I will just do things I'm so knowledgeable about how how it should be and not being so fucking uptight and like thinking it was the end of the world every day Mm. that dreaded feeling that like making mistakes and oh my god if if I don't know, like, if the bread doesn't prove properly, you're a fucking loser. All off. To re-enter operating your own place with stakes that are more grounded, where it can just be bread, you know, like... With exactly... With with the design, with the design, with the... uh, What Madame Pig originated what it should have been without a crazy unwell drug addict sort of half and half like making it this magical place but then half of it him making it like his his hell so yeah i've um i don't know whether it will happen like soon soon but it's definitely gonna happen I just want to ask you some quick fire questions. First thing that comes to mind, and I know you have ADHD, so this might go 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but we'll just do that. And then that's all the time I need from you. Um, where is your favorite place to travel food-wise? Uh, France, but not clean. I haven't been back clean, so, but France. Who is your favorite pop icon? Elton John. What's the best meal you've had in the past month? My toad in the hole. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite building in London? I don't know if I've got one, you know. Tate Modern. Okay, this one, take a little more time with if you want, but we always ask who is your hospitality hero? Gary Usher. He just didn't care in a natural form, which is I admire. Don't care about what other people think, man, which is what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> <laughs> Think it's about getting to a place without killing yourself, ruining yourself, making other people sad, making yourself sad, and having a product. What is otherwise? What is the point of being a chef? Like, I think, and I don't mean that in a harsh way to all the young kids out there cooking, because you will become something. You're doing something already, but like I mean, as in like when you've been in it for a long time, it's like. You want to make people happy. You want to make yourself happy. You want a restaurant that people love. Like, I'm not too sure if he's happy, but like what he's, what he's achieved, what he's achieved is, um, is proper. Your vulnerability and your insight have been, it's been really incredible talking to you. So thank you. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. I've liked the way that you've asked questions. It's just like, bosh. <laughs> Beyond the Pass is produced by Kelly's Cause. For more information about Kelly's Cause, please head to kellyscause.com or find us on Instagram at kellyscause.